From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told. Where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everyone, this is Mike Molotar. So welcome back to the Financial Recon Podcast. Hard to believe we are already 10 episodes into this podcast. And a big thank you to everybody who's been listening out there. As Billy Joel infamously sang, I've seen the lights go out on Broadway. But what happens when they don't come back on? In this episode, we speak with Sean Patrick, theater's jack-of-all-trades, who's been both on Broadway and off, and literally takes us behind the curtain of how these shows, cast and crew, were impacted last year, and what they're doing right now to get back up and running. Sean, thanks a ton for joining us. I, and I got to make a special shout out to Dan for uh, connecting us. I, I'm so stoked to have you on the podcast and kind of peel back the curtain per se on uh, what's going on in Broadway. I mean, of all industries, not just travel, we know Broadway was just decimated by this whole pandemic. You know, there's light at the end of the tunnel, obviously. And before we, I guess we go too far into that, if you just want to kind of tell everyone a bit about your background because I find it fascinating and love to have you share it. Very cool. Yeah, I'm happy to. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate this. So my background is I grew up as the only child of a single mom in Cleveland, Ohio, with no other kids in my family, no kids in my development. So I was just socially awkward, as you could possibly <laughs> imagine. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't really sure what to do, where to go, how to be a kid even. And a friend of mine was doing a youth theater play and was like, you should come see this show I'm in. And I was like, "What? I don't know what that means, but okay, I'll do it. Sure. <laughs> and something clicked. And ever since then, theater has just been the thing that is both uh, spiritually fulfilling for me, morally fulfilling for me, and economically, thankfully, fulfilling for me. Uh, so I started off as a musical theater performer. I started to major in that in college, left because debt is very real. Um, and I, <laughs> As we all know, right? <laughs> oh my God, it's so true. It's so true. And I had some professional work opportunities, and I thought, you know, I'm going to school to learn to do this professionally, but I'm getting professional opportunities, so maybe I should just try that. So I did. I left college after two years, and I was fortunate that I worked continuously as an actor uh, as much as I could. And in between, I wanted to learn more and more. So I picked up other skill sets. I learned from great directors and I started to direct shows. I had always played the piano, so I learned how to be a musical director. I trained as a dancer, so I thought, well, maybe I can choreograph things. So I started to just kind of piecemeal all these things together and synthesize them into, I didn't know what, I just knew that I liked doing it all. And then finally, one day I got asked to stage manage a show. Didn't really know much about stage management other than I had watched stage managers work and thought, well, they just kind of coordinate some things. I can do that. That was the understatement of the year. They coordinate everything. So I jumped in both feet first. And uh, for lack of a better way of phrasing, it got my ass handed to me pretty well because I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Trial by fire, right? The only way. (laughs) (laughs) And so these people coming out of college with degrees in stage management, and here I am just going, hi, I dropped out of college. I've never, never done this before, so let me just try it. And somehow I found out that I was good at it. And so it just became a, a continual 
uh, project that I, I just kept getting hired and asked to work on uh, show to show. And then as my career progressed a little bit farther, I, I was able to get into a different venture that was Tangent, which was founding a theater company, a nonprofit in Cleveland, uh, and then subsequently a for-profit educational theater company in New York City. Uh, so all of those things have just kind of taken me on this crazy journey, and now I'm back to stage management again after 15 months off thanks to a little pandemic. Uh, as of next week, I get back into stage management again. Nice. And what do you think you're most looking forward to outside of pay, obviously? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind. I'm not mad about the pay. Uh, I am honestly looking forward to feeling – this is the way I explain it to people. You know that feeling when you've been away for a while and you come into your home and it just is – whether or not there's junk on the floor or there's laundry that has to be done, it's just that feeling of, oh, my God, I'm home. That's how I feel when I walk into a theater, and I haven't felt that in 15 months. I miss that feeling of being home. And you mentioned theater I just because like we discussed off air before, you know, we discussed some uh, shows that, you know, I've gotten to see and that you're a big fan of. Sure. What's your favorite theater in New York? A physical theater or favorite show? Yeah. Physical Ooh, theater. Physical theater. That's such a good question. Um, Cause I, I'll tell you mine real quick before. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I did not realize it was so intimate was town hall. Yes. 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 Yeah. So I've actually I produced a concert at Town Hall, uh, what last two years ago? Two years ago. It wasn't stand up for heroes, was it? <laughs> no, it was not. It was a concert version of uh, Into the Woods, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. No, because our our first our only time going was stand up for heroes, the initial show uh, with the New York Comedy Festival oh, for okay. the Bob Woodruff Foundation. And the bill was incredible. I mean, it was Robin Williams, Lewis Black, Stephen Colbert, Conan O'Brien, oh Bruce God. Springsteen. Yeah, I mean, it was a really neat, neat thing. It's one of those things I'm glad we spent the money and went to because just left a lot of good memories. So, and then, you know, Robin Williams was just fantastic. I mean, oh my God. Just, uh, the funniest part was he walked off after the show. You know, he went on the Marine bus where the Marine band was or what have you. And he started screaming at them like a drill sergeant. <laughs> and you could That's hear amazing. it outside. Yeah. But anyway, I, so yeah, what was your... Uh, I think favorite? if I had to pick a favorite theater, it would be the Belasco Theater. Okay. The Belasco Theater was, uh, of course, built I don't, in 19... 19- Teens, probably 19-teens, 1920s. Um, I believe it was David Belasco is who it's named after, if I'm not mistaken. I should know this better because it's my favorite theater, so I should know more about the history of it. It's okay. <laughs> the, the architecture is incredible. The, the design is gorgeous. And although I've never had access to it, there is an owner's apartment above the theater, which is currently condemned by the city. It's uh, not condemned in the sense it has to be de- uh, demolished, but it's not safe for uh, any kind of habitation. Uh, but it's this cool, like, you used to have this, these elaborate parties with all these huge old stars and all these rich elites. And it was this, like, pinnacle apartment. And there's, like, a trap door that opens. You could look down onto the stage from his apartment. He could watch the shows from this little oh, trap door cool. on the wall. Uh, so, yeah, there is, that's my favorite theater, I think. Just the history of it and the physical architecture is just so stunning. That is really neat. I mean, that is – I'd never even heard of that, so that's it's cool. It's actually – the one of the more recent things that had a good success there was the revival of uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch uh, several years ago, which is a, an interesting show. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's – I mean, that shows my – 
and probably a lot of folks level of knowledge about what's going on on Broadway. If you don't see the, what is it? The big, the big names, you sometimes sure. you forget there's all these other theaters sure. and what have you. So like, you know, you mentioned like how that, how that theater was like kind of a throwback to another time. How big of a deal was it for Broadway to just shut down? It was the, the thing I, I, liken it to when I speak to people Mm -hmm. is if you have a job working in finance, if you work at, let's say you work at a bank, you're a mortgage lending specialist for a bank sure, and you lose your job because that branch of the bank closes, you move to another bank or you move to a different company, but still in the same field. Mm -hmm. When we shut down, it wasn't just a theater shutting down or a collection of theaters shutting down nationwide, internationally, worldwide, our industry shut down. There was no pivot. There was no lateral move. People that had paid thousands of dollars for college degrees had worked their whole life doing this, had union pensions, had health insurance through their unions, were raising families, owned property. Suddenly, their entire career was gone, and it wasn't as simple as, oh, well, we'll just go work at this other theater. There was nothing else. So you were forced to have to either figure out the unemployment uh, situation, which was a disaster in almost every state, um, or you had to completely pivot. You had to completely redefine who you were and what you did and how you were going to make ends meet when the thing you knew, the only thing you did, was gone. And I think there was a sense of, from, from the outside looking in, there was a sense of, oh, well, it's just acting or it's just stage management. They can go do something else. It's not just acting or just stage management, though, when you get to the level of it being a career. It is mm-hmm. the thing that puts food on the table. So it was decimating from that perspective, but also from the economic perspective. I oh, mean, yeah. remember that in the 2018-2019 Broadway season alone, there were 14.8 million admissions mm-hmm. to theaters, uh, to, specifically to Broadway theaters which represented 46% of that, I think, was from the U.S., and 19% was from other countries. You look at the the amount of money that brought into the economy, it brings in literal billions of dollars oh, yeah. to, the, to, the, uh, to the revenue of New York City. Because you don't just go to the show. You go out to dinner, or, and you have right. like, all the you, – you travel there, so there's the parking or mm-hmm. the mass transit revenue or – yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. So it really was it, – it was a – the Midtown area, you don't realize how much Broadway fuels the Midtown area until it's gone. Because what was lit up and bright and and lively, I drove through there in July of 2020. I was actually not here when the pandemic first started. I came back to the city in July, and I remember driving through Midtown, and it was a ghost town. Wow. Not, windows boarded up, the lights are off. People, I mean, and God knows I feel for them. There was people that just obviously were homeless living on the street. And mass, just just this incredible volume of people that had been displaced. It, it was unreal. The whole city just hit. So, like, I mean, because you know, the big misconception is, <clears throat> oh, you're on Broadway, you're making tons of money, and we all know <laughs> that is not the truth. I mean, the cast and crew, like, what did they do to survive? Like, how did they reinvent themselves? Like, what? What pivots could they make? What, do, you know, just if you know any like sure stories you would be willing to share. I mean, I'd be, we'd be curious to hear how folks were, you know, making ends meet during this time. 
I think the the one advantage to being an artist is that your entire life and in every facet of arts, whether you're a crew person who makes art by moving set pieces, there's still an art to it. People that Mm -hmm. exist in this sphere have a creativity about them and an ability to see beyond the black and white all the time. So I think that for artists, it was a twofold time. First, there was the time of absolute abject depression because Mm -hmm. you didn't know what to do. And what was going to happen? The 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 move the the uh, news rather kept changing. You never knew what was going to be the next bit of information about when we would or wouldn't come back. So in terms of pivoting, a lot of people went into real estate, which I'm one of them. I will okay. I will own that proudly, and it's been a great parallel pivot for me. <laughs> um, I look forward to being able to operate these two worlds together now, uh, which will be interesting. It's funny because, you know, as we were talking the other time, my guilty pleasure show of the million dollar listings now back into the world. So uh, yes. I, I feel <laughs> I feel connected to the New York real estate market again. It's funny when I get these emails now from like Frederick Eklund and from, you know, Ryan Serhant. And I'm like, I know them from the TV show. And now suddenly I'm in the same field. It's just it's fascinating to me. Yeah. So a lot of folks pivoted to real estate, you said. Real estate was um, big. A lot of people found their own small businesses. Some people found ways of uh, sustaining via Zoom coaching, Zoom teaching. Some people went completely different and made candles. Uh, I have a friend that made a, did a really cool handcrafted candle company that took off really well. Nice. Uh, some people wrote books. Some people went into business. Some people, it, it really was a friend of mine got a temp job right before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, their office is shut down on Wall Street. And they said, can you just come in on Fridays, just on Fridays? just to help run the office because there's no one there in case people need stuff. Well, after two weeks, it became clear that they needed someone more than Fridays. So her little temp job that she had picked up became a five-day-a-week, 40- to 50-hour-a-week salary job, which she is still doing to this day that sustained her through the entire pandemic. That, so, and, and that's awesome to hear. Yeah. and th- But leads into this question. Broadway has now got the green light to reopen. How do they get folks like that to come back yes. to the to the fold? So here's the thing, and I want to make this clear. There's two sides mm-hmm. to the Broadway reopening, and I think that it's it's important to understand both. One is the public-facing side, which is what we're seeing in the news now, where the government is saying Broadway is greenlit to reopen, and on July mm-hmm. 1st, everything in New York goes to 100% capacity, which looks great. But then the backside that people aren't seeing is that these shows, first of all, these theaters, a lot of them are you know 100 years old. They have to go in, they have to have mold mitigation done, they've got to make sure the water system is running, they've got to update all the electrics, make sure that the scenery, that the lighting, the sound still works. Then, touching on your point, <sighs> the casting issue, who's coming back, who has to be recast, re-rehearsing the show, re-teching the show, and teching means adding all the technical elements into the actors and you know putting it together as a full package, and then the marketing and the ticket sales and the all the work that goes into it, plus you've got 13 unions represented in every Broadway show from the actors, wow. the stage managers, the crew, the front of house, the musicians, the the publicists, the casting directors. They all have to come to consensus on what are their COVID protocols to allow their members to return to work. So right now we've got the government saying, sure, go back. But the actors union saying, hold on, we have not approved a safety protocol for this yet. So that's the first big hump, is getting everyone on the same page to agree how to reopen safely, number one. Number two is, yeah, who's coming back? 
it's it's a bit of a crapshoot. A lot of people left the city but kept their apartments and subleased. A lot of people gave up their apartments. A lot of people were renting and could easily come back. I think we're going to see an influx of people that left because their heart is still here and will be here. And they've been waiting for this. Some people will have pivoted and won't come back. Hmm. If you were to guess, what percentage do you think won't come back? Immediately? Yeah. Say, so, yeah, they'll say probably within the first year and then, sure. you know, do you think they'll, do you think after the first year they'll maybe miss it enough to come back? I think Again. initially it's going to be probably around like 10. If we're talking about Broadway specifically, maybe mm-hmm. about 10% wouldn't come back. I think the major, the vast majority will. Because at the Broadway pay level, you're making some nice money. You're getting great health insurance, although it's still employer provided, which we <laughs> learned in the pandemic doesn't always work so well. <laughs> um, that's a problem. Right. So you're getting a lot of perks. And if it's what you love to do, and if it's what you train to do, and you have the opportunity, you'll take it. Um, for the most part, I'm going to guess, you know, somewhere maybe 10% of people won't. I think after the first year, once things kind of fall back into a rhythm and a pattern, as long as we don't get hit with, you know, another wave of COVID or, you know, some other cra- like locusts just start falling out of the sky at this point. I don't even know what could happen. <laughs> some other plague. Uh, <laughs> Please don't jinx us. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, anything could happen. It's 2021. Yeah, I oh, know. I know. We, we're out of gas <laughs> some places here. So, <laughs> I was a friend of mine posted the funniest thing. He said, I wonder if the CDC you know, said that masks don't matter anymore to people that are vaccinated because they saw people putting gasoline in Burger King cups. And they were like, you know what? At this point, whatever. <laughs> it's like, you're right. I know this is this is like deviating here, but we're going to take a hard right on sure. this for a funny story that I just read this morning about oh a woman who was hoarding gas into gas cans, put it into her vehicle, was running from the cops, and ended up catching on fire. Oh, <laughs> my South, God. South Carolina. So if that's not karma getting you, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the world of uh, the Darwin Awards, right? Exactly, um, yes. So I, I'm thinking of the economics of the theater, right? Obviously, if you're – I just want to say, folks – you know, support your local theaters, go out, support the tours um, of the Broadway shows, and also make sure to go out and support Broadway itself if you're in the New York City area or, you know, any major city because it's awesome. You you guys do some, I mean, f- just fantastic work. Thank you. What would you say the economics, like if you could kind of go into that a little bit, like what's a theater got to run at to to make sense? I mean, you know, because people say, oh, well, if you could open every, you know, like baseball stadiums are doing every other section or seed or this or whatever the heck, what does it, what does Broadway obviously have to do to make it work? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's such a good question. Broadway is in general. So the one thing to understand is there's basically two levels of financial models in theater. There's for profit and there's not for profit. Um, outside of New York city, almost, almost every theater in the country is a not-for-profit theater because then Mm -hmm. you're not beholden to your ticket sales as being your only source of revenue. You've got Mm -hmm. grants, you've got corporate uh, sponsorships. You can be a little more creative, a little more flexible on Broadway. Almost every theater is a commercial for-profit theater. It is a for-profit driven entity. Every show that opens on Broadway opens as its own LLC. 
Okay. So it is opened by the executive producers, by the general managers as an LLC, and it operates as its own company. Um, From the nonprofit perspective, there's actually a few Broadway theaters that operate. One thing I also want to clarify, just because this does affect the economics of it, Broadway, the phrase Broadway, is actually, of course, it's a street, but now the theaters all on Broadway. Um, Absolutely. The thing that delineates a show as being a Broadway show is it has to be above a certain amount of seats within a certain physical boundary in Manhattan, within a certain street boundary, and it has to operate under a Broadway agreement with the Broadway League and Actors' Equity Association. So it's a contractual delineation, a geographic delineation, and a size delineation. That's what makes it a Broadway show learning things already see there we go so people say i do broadway stuff i do broadway shows in in my place in wisconsin i'm like no you do plays in wisconsin you're not doing a broadway show in your so you're saying dinner theater may not be (laughs) oddly enough it is not actually broadway okay (laughs) um so that's important to understand that just the way it's delineated the other type of theater like i mentioned nonprofit. there's actually three major producing entities that operate as broadway theaters and are broadway are Broadway producing entities, but they operate on a nonprofit uh, agreement. That is Roundabout Theater Company, uh, Manhattan Theater Club, and Lincoln Center Theater. Those three kind of are hybrids where they get the benefits of being a Broadway theater, but they operate under a nonprofit agreement so they can be a bit more bold with their choices because their funding is a little bit different. Um, They're not as dollar driven by ticket revenue exclusively. So that so back to like you said how they're set up as the LLC. Mm-hmm. So when they say they're that the you know you're part of the company that mm-hmm. makes sense. Now. Exactly. When you say when you, you know, I'm part of the 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 Hamilton company, you yeah. are literally a part of the Hamilton company. It is. Uh, a, we it should, is company. you know we sh- we're not doing a drinking game about you know how many name drops of Hamilton we could have today. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, all I have with me is Starbucks. I got nothing. Uh, yeah, I, oh, I, can, I can find some. Too. I got something in the room. Trust me. <laughs> one good thing from the pandemic is my bar is stocked uh, <laughs> that there is a reason that alcohol sales have taken off <laughs> yes that and paint ironically oh god yes correct very true <laughs> but yeah so broadway as a as an economic model is of course a risk because the way that the the general we'll use commercial theater as the basic example commercial theater the idea is pitched for a production whether it's a new show or a revival investors then put their money in depending on how they, you know, what level they want to invest at, determines you know what type of billing they get, what type of perks they get, and how they recoup. Because the way it works is this money is basically put into a, a corporation, a pool, and then it is dispersed back out off of whatever profit is made. It, it's the royalty pool is then split up proportionally based on the Yeah, it's like a limited partnership. Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, I'm sure... Well, any financial folks out there have run into the courseware or, or heard of the client who got roped into investing into a movie or something like that similarly, and, you know, it ended badly. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> which so, happened, which is, and it's a risk because most shows on Broadway do not recoup. Most shows right. don't recoup. Uh, so it's always a risk when you put money into a show. I always use Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark, as the example because that show – Turned off the lights, turned off the electricity, turned off the turned off the heat. It it, it wrecked. <laughs> it was just everything went down. It was it was billed. And so you look to be so phenomenal, and it just right. 
I mean, I'm looking right now at an unaudited statement of operation for members' capital and deficit. And this is from August 19 of 2010 through January 2nd of 2011. We're going back a decade. So, of course, you know, things change. But looking at this right now, the capital contributed from one LLC was 25 million. The capital contributed from another LLC was 20 million. And producer loans from a third LLC were 5.79, totaling. $51,637,843.50. Got to get the 87 cents in there. Got to get those 87 cents. (laughs) I mean, that that was the most expensive over-the-top Broadway show that's ever happened. But you're looking at a $51.6 million contribution to start that show. Um, And then there's, of course, the schedules below with the balance sheets. um, And then you're getting into your, your net operating costs. But a weekly... I mean, here's an example right now. The... Let's look at this. Let's look at just the the fees for the creative staff, which is going to include your authors, your director, choreographer, your designers, things like that. Three point mm-hmm. one million. Wow. Just to design the show. And then advertising and publicity, you're at another three point three million, which by today's standards we're looking at more like three point eight million. Um, if we're you know accounting for inflation. So is that to like yours? That's like to run the endless ads on WNBC in New York, right? <laughs> exactly right. That was just never stopped. That's to get the, the cab yes. toppers and the big Times Square billboard. I, I, yeah, growing up, I mean, if I, I between cats and I, I mean, I still have nightmares of seeing the ads. You get the '80s mega musicals bombarding you, of course. Yes, Les Mis, yes. Miss Saigon. Yeah, exactly. All yeah, of those. those two were vicious. Oh, huge. In their advertising. <laughs> <laughs> and then you look Jer- oh, at Jersey like, Boys. Oh, no, no, Jersey no, Boys. I love yeah. Jersey Boys. Well, it was fantastic. I loved it, too. Such a good show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a joke with my mother-in-law. I said, hey, do you want me to translate this? <laughs> being from Jersey. I grew up in, right around there, that area. So I, sure, I'm familiar with, when, you know, just the vibe of it. You know, it's very familiar. But anyway, oh, sure. I, well, we, we digress. But What I was going to say, just tangent to that real yeah. quick, was that then you oh, look yeah. at your weekly operating costs, which I okay. think is important to look at also. And again, we're using Spider-Man's budget as an example. So we're going mm-hmm. 10 years ago, but still, I have the full budget. So why not? <laughs> um, the uh, Looking at the number of performances in a week, if you're doing a five-show week, uh, or actually, this is a lie. Hold on. Uh, yes, there we go. Okay. So the weekly operating costs on that show, just to keep it running, about $950,000 a week. Okay. To keep it running just in terms of its advertising expenses, its its uh, materials expenses, its salaries, its royalties. It was costing just under a million dollars a week. Or we'll, we'll round it, say about a million a week to run the show week to week to week. So you've got this initial capital investment that's put in just to get the show launched. Now you've got to maintain it week to week. So your box office sales on a for-profit are driving it. So if you're looking at a theater that seats, let's say, a thousand people, and mm-hmm. let's say your average ticket price is $140, you're talking $140,000 at a sold-out show, and most Broadway shows run eight shows a week. That's $1.12 million in a week. That barely profits you. Yeah. So it's like it's it is it's a numbers game for sure. Yeah, and it just I mean, I think when you sit back and think of it it's like 
some of these shows, you know, like we said, with Hamilton and stuff like that, so they could command their premium. I would, I'm just assuming here that their expenses were nowhere near. No. I mean, it was a fantastic show and it doesn't surprise me that they would execute like that, but it seems like, you know, like the numbers when you get into, so like I'll use a mechanic, right? Like a lot of places will mark up their uh, parts, maybe like 33% to uh, account for, you know, warranty work, things like that or what have you. So what is that magic number? You know, I, I mean, what do you feel like that magic number needs to be for the theaters to, you know, or the company to be sustainable. It's because Broadway shows, and I'm, I'm using Broadway as just the kind of yeah. generic, I'm using it as, as the, the focus, but regional theaters across the country really are the lifeblood of our industry. So it, it the models shift as you go. Right. For most nonprofit theaters, they budget based on, of course, their size. Uh, what they, You look at capacity, basically. What's their maximum possible revenue? Um, at different price points. And they find that sweet spot, which for a lot of theaters to operate at a break-even model, they're talking at about 70, 70% sales uh, mm-hmm. for you know per performance. That's kind of, and again, that's a generic, that's kind of a, a synthesis of all things. Some and theaters can operate at a 50% model and be fine. Has Broadway gone to the uh, the technology uh, implementation like like baseball and so forth with uh, dynamic ticketing where they can you know manage managing demand and surge pricing and so forth? So dynamic ticketing is well, dynamic pricing in general is a yeah. thing that is more so done based on the popularity of a show. If a show, the, I did a, an off Broadway production of Fiddler on the Roof that was fully in Yiddish, directed by Joel Gray, and people were like. You're doing foreign language fiddler. This is in Yiddish. <laughs> like, does anyone speak Yiddish? Well, apparently, didn't matter because that thing sold out. That was one of the wow. hottest tickets in New York City for a year. Um, and so, of course, our ticketing model became dynamic because what we initially released the tickets at, we're like, oh my God, this is selling like wildfire. Let's increase everything by 20 bucks. Sure enough, <laughs> that sold out. Let's increase it by 40 bucks. That sold out. We're like, oh my God, where's the ceiling? We finally found the ceiling. We said, "All right, we're coming down ten dollars," uh, and then we we worked from there. So yeah, they will price dynamically, oftentimes based on time of day. For example, Saturday nights are going to be more expensive than Wednesday matinees, oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Also, dynamically in terms of where you are in the house, if you're in an orchestra center seat, you're probably paying more than far balcony off to the right. So that's <laughs> the nosebleeds, exactly. as we like to call. Them. <laughs> Correct. We're squinting <laughs> to see if anything's happening. Yes. Yeah, cheap seats, <laughs> <laughs> the ones I can afford. To be yeah, most of us can, <laughs> right? Do you think that the release of Hamilton on Disney Plus last year, like Fourth of July ish time, do you think that actually is going to end up being a huge, um, or has already been a huge connector to keeping people tied to theater in the pandemic? I think that the mindset has always been that theater, and I will, I am a firm proponent of this. Theater is a live communal experience between an mm-hmm. audience and people doing the play. It's that energy you can't replace through a TV. You just, you can't replace it. Right. However, I don't think that we can avoid this technology, this technological advance that we're seeing in, in media and in arts. I think we have to lean into it. With mm-hmm. Hamilton, because the brand was already so recognizable and so, so, defining of kind of an era of theater 
I don't think it hurt its financial position on Broadway at all. I think if anything, people saw it and now they're going to want to come see it live. I do think that show to show, it's going to impact how it, how that affects the the live performance versus the recorded performance. Some shows might find that they release a, 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 you know, high, high definition film shot. And then people don't want to come see it because the show just doesn't appeal enough to, to do that when they could just spend, you know, 20 bucks to watch it at home. Um, so I think it's going to be, a, it's finding that, that dynamic balance of does this show warrant a release and a live performance? And will that impact us negatively? Will we be able to tour this show and get other revenue if there's this live version out there that people can just stream whenever they want? So I think it's a model that we're going to see more and more of, and more and more shows are releasing. There's a musical based on the life of Princess Diana called, get ready for this, Diana. Uh, <laughs> I know, crazy. Um, <laughs> they spent a lot of time on that they one. They really, they had all the best lines in the city were in the room on that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, no exclamation point. Like, no, Diana, yeah. just just Diana. <laughs> they uh, That was already filmed, and it's going to be released on Netflix and then it's going to open officially because it was in previews when the pandemic hit. It's going to officially open in December. So it'll actually be viewable online first, I believe, if I'm not mistaken on the timeline. Uh, so that's, it's going to be interesting to see what that does. Uh, the show Come From Away about the 9-11 planes that were diverted to, um, to Canada, uh, to Newfoundland specifically. Uh, Gander, if you want to get really specific. Oh, yeah. Very familiar with it. It's an incredible. The show is incredible. The story is incredible. They just filmed it. That's going to be released. So there's all of this this drive to go that direction. And I don't think it's going to hurt us, but I think it's going to be a learning curve to figure out what's that balance between oversaturating the market with pre-recorded and and negatively affecting the in-person revenue-driven sales. That makes sense. You know, I think with Hamilton's release, it was also a great, way to kind of be a catalyst to introduce like that's how we introduced our kids to the theater like with with uh watching it and my daughter loves it like she'll walk around singing (laughs) the songs and so forth and i'd just be really curious to see i mean if i were a betting man i would put money on people are gonna just flood to the theater you know right they just desire that that experience if that's just it it's it is an experience it's like a really really, it's like when you have a really good dinner there's something about it being an experience not just another meal theater is an experience all around yep i agree so i have to ask you sean (laughs) you know with all the we just talked about a couple different you know diana and so forth what is a, a show or two that you're excited to either see restarted or, you know, make their debut um, in the coming, you know, the rest of 2021. Um, Not the music man revival. I have no, (laughs) I'm sure it'll be lovely. I personally just don't want to ever see the music man ever again, after having done it 900 times growing up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're seeing it in your nightmares, right? I can't escape it. Correct. (laughs) I'm okay. Never seeing that show again. I, a couple things. I'm so ready to see Come From Away come back. I love that show. And it feels even more relevant now because it deals with a time in New York's history where everything was really dark and then how we dealt with it. And I feel like it's going to resonate even stronger right now. Um, so I'm right. thrilled to see that come back. 
And there's some new things that are that are hitting Broadway that I'm excited about. Hades Town, first of all, I'm also thrilled to see come back. Um, there's a little show that was off Broadway uh, called Romeo and Bernadette. It's like a 19, okay. I don't know, it's 1950s or 1960s spin on Romeo and Juliet. Very contemporary, very modernized, super, super quirky. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm excited to see that because that's just going to be something very different. Um, and I like to see new things happening on Broadway. That's I, I think we have a lot of the same, but I like to see new things. And I'm also really, really excited. Well, actually, two other ones I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about seeing uh, Carolina Change, which is a revival that's happening by Roundabout Theatre Company producing it. It was a transfer from the London company that, like, tremendous acclaim on the West End. It's transferring here. I love the show. I think it's a brilliantly written show, and I'm excited to see the production because I've heard it's spectacular. Uh, and also a show called uh, Flying Over Sunset. Uh, which is playing at uh, Lincoln Center, uh, written by James Lapine, Tom Kitt, who are big for uh, James Lapine directed Into the Woods originally. He also wrote the book to it, I believe. Tom Kitt wrote the music for Next to Normal, which won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, and it's about three real-life celebrities. Uh, exp- this is going to sound crazy. It basically, it's about three real-life celebrities who experimented with LSD <laughs> and how that influenced their... Um, there. So, so what? I could just watch TMZ and get this. Correct. <laughs> it, well, it's it's uh, what's uh, Aldous Huxley, Claire uh, Claire Booth, Luce, and Cary Grant. That's the oh, three okay. celebrities. And it's just about how it, it's a very cool looking piece. I'm really excited to see it. Nice. So yeah. Anyway, but you didn't you didn't mention Harry Potter's new show. I didn't. You're right. <laughs> I, well, here's the thing. They're not coming back till 2022, I found out. And I've heard rumors, might not be true, I've heard rumors, <laughs> it's a two-part show. You have to see, there's like a part one and a part two. Oh, no, it is a two-part show. Apparently, they're trying to combine it into a one-part show and bring it back to try and save money. So I don't know if that's true, but that's the word I'm hearing on the street, is that they're going to rewrite it to be a one... I mean, it's like a, a seven-hour epic. I don't know how they're going to do that, but... That's a lot of bathroom breaks. That's what I'm, I'm hearing. They're going to try and make like a three hour streaming. Like, well, that's it. Like streamline it. So we'll see what happens. Wow. We'll see how that wow. goes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I I can't imagine <laughs> seven hours. I've got to think the economics of something like that. Just, you know, it's already going to be you're pulling people, getting them back into the, the mix. Sit a seven hours of your time. I don't know if people would be. No, it would have to be three hours or under, or no one's going to sit through it. They have to really yeah. just almost write a new show and make it work. Well, you know, I you're you're absolutely right. And th- those suggestions, we'll have to keep an eye out and see, you know, how they go. And like, if you were to put your money on one, what do you think is going to be the next the next uh, b- big breakout on actual Broadway? Oh, that's a good question. Of all of the new ones that are opening. Just in general, I guess. Oh, gotcha. Like, what's going to be that big? Like, you know, American Idiot was the big one. Right, right, right. Hamilton picked up. Like, they. it just seems there's always that one that people are, like, fighting to the death to get tickets for. Well, I'll tell you right now, there's... I, I It's hard. It's really hard to say. I mean, there is... There's, I, I think we're a little saturated on the, the, like, new big breakout shows at the moment, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what's going to happen post-pandemic, what's really going to take off. I mean, there's this MJ, the Michael Jackson musical, is opening, which I'm like, oh, okay, sure. There's yeah. so many shows that 
in a certain, you know, in a certain day could be the new big breakout hit. I just don't know if that's going to be a jukebox musical, if that's going to be a brand new show that no one sees coming, like a Hamilton. Was, mil- was Million Dollar Quartet on Broadway? Million Dollar Quartet, I think it did. Yeah, I think it was on Broadway, if I'm not mistaken. I, sh- You know what? I admit that's not a show I know terribly well, so I shouldn't. No, no, no. It, and it, I, I just am curious because I could see something like that. But you're right. Like, there, there is this trend. Like, there, there is Billy Joel's... Um, moving out which was fantastic yes. by the way and then you you, you know these every, it just seems like hey who's an artist we can you know do some there's carol king's beautiful show yep. there who else was there you know we talked about the beach boys one that was a very, oh, <laughs> one of the very short lives there was also um uh smoky joe's cafe the songs of Lieber and stoller which is all that great elvis era it's really good music but like it's all following a trend of you know like grab a musician, take their music, create a storyline around it. Right. Um, obviously, there's been rumors forever that they're going to do a Springsteen one, which would be uh, it'll be interesting to see. I know the diehards will pick it apart pretty hard. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, what do you think is going to just you know be that if you were to th- throw a dart at some? We're not going to punish you if you're wrong here, right? (laughs) The the worst case is, you know, we'll just ridicule you on another episode. Listen, I I went to Catholic school for 12 years. I can take punishment and ridicule. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) I I, I went to Catholic school too, so I know what you mean. (laughs) I think if if I had to genuinely pick, I think that it is going to be something that is, God, I hope I'm right about this, something that is not just another derivative jukebox musical. I feel like the market is ready for and needs something new and original. And it can be from sort, it can be derivative in the sense that it like Hamilton, for example, no one expected Mm -hmm. to take that book of Hamilton's life and make this, you know, the the most successful music 50 years out of it. No one thought that would happen. I remember looking at that book in the bookstore being like, oh, interesting. And right. that was about it. <laughs> exactly. It's like if someone, for all I know, someone's going to pick up Field of Dreams or what, Shoeless Joe by W.C. Yeah. Kinsella. And all of a sudden there's a musical on Broadway. That's the new hot ticket. That yeah. might happen. But I hope that's the direction it goes. I hope the next big thing is something original, at least original, that it's not so obvious. It's not just a jukebox musical. I want to see something a little more substantial, a little bit more meaningful than that. So hopefully I, I totally agree. I, that's what I think was so refreshing about the Hamilton yeah. pivot was that it wasn't, you know, I, I lo- like we, we were talking about, I loved American idiot. It was a fantastic show, yeah. but it fell into that same jukebox type, you know, like right. something creative that pivot. That's what, that's what theater is about, right? The creativity and yeah. special atmosphere and it just so I'm, I'm excited to see you know what what the next thing is out there hey thank you so much for your time sean you know we're definitely gonna have to have you back on and you know get a little further into how broadway's doing down the road and see how the retentions have gone with the shows and from today you know they they say go how how long does it take to get everything queued up to relaunch? Well, I mean, here's the thing. The first shows that are opening are opening in... Well, okay, Hamilton's doing a special July 4th 
if the, I believe that's still the plan to do like a one day special July 4th production performance as kind of okay. like a celebrating we're back, whatever. The first show that's going to come back, I don't, I don't believe it's opening until September is our first Broadway show fully back. They will be working nonstop from now until then to get this up and running wow. because you do have to relaunch your marketing. You have to relaunch, you have to get your casting back down, re-rehearse the show. It's going to be a process. Um, mm-hmm. It's just going to be a whole process of, of getting things up and running because it is, it's starting a full business entity from the ground up again. So yeah, I think it's going to, it's going to take several months to really get each show per show. It'll take several months to just get it up and running and get that machine started up again. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, man. That really have, uh, like I said, peeled back the curtain on Broadway and the theater. And, you know, like I said, everybody go out and support the local theaters and, you know, make sure the arts are good to go for generations to come. This is, a obviously been a a pretty significant blow to just everything so just looking forward to getting back and if you live near a broadway touring house where tours come through from september or october through next year i'll be on the road with a show called the band's visit uh so if you live near there and that show's playing in your area come say hi come say hi afterwards. there you go <laughs> you know people there you go that's what this show's about yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks a lot sean thanks mike take care Thanks for joining us today. To continue the conversation, visit us at our blog, financial-recon.com. Appearances do not constitute endorsement of flagship wealth management group, LPL Financial, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Sean Patrick is not affiliated with nor endorsed by LPL Financial or Flagship Wealth Management Group.